Hello, and welcome to Say That, podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Scan my QR code for more. With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, is Lee Younger. Oh my goodness, I don't even know what that means. If you, like an angry boomer at a restaurant, refuse to scan the QR code, write us in and we'll send you a paper Jed menu. Well, that's what I'm saying is like, does Jed have a QR? Is there an actual Jed QR code? There could be. Jed offers a menu of services and options, some available with a modest upcharge. Scan Jed's QR code for more. It's a, it's an augmented reality Jed Brewer game that you're opting into. That's right. It's mostly smart glasses that just always point the nearest Taco Bell to you. Sure. <laughs> that's, that's all they do. I'm just, I'm, I'm assuming I, I, I zoom in on the QR code and, and, you know, I, I don't know, like I never quite get the link to come up correctly, but when I actually hit the link, it just goes to like flaming hot Cheetos or something. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Jed, I like the, the kind of augmented reality glasses idea. I like the idea that there's just a warehouse full of Google glass somewhere in Palo Alto <laughs> that no one ever wanted that Taco Bell bought cheap. Yeah. And they're yeah. just trying to figure out ways to make that work. Well, yeah. according to the movie Demolition Man with Wesley Snipes and Sylvester Stallone, Taco Bell did win the fast food wars. Oh, that's true. That's that could be a prophetic vision. We don't have proof that it's not. <laughs> well, as we start this this episode, as we sometimes do on a technological bent, it is important to verify the QR, the Jed Brewer QR code is the real one before you scan it because you don't want to get scammed. No. That brings no. us to a cyber fraud emergency. Uh-oh. Scary. Now, oftentimes when you hear stories of fraud and particularly cyber fraud, um, they're sad on some level because it's like an old person who doesn't understand how this works and or somebody accidentally got fired. So clicked on the phishing email, the whole thing. I bring you, um, well, you can decide how much schadenfreude you want to put onto this. I will just read the headline from julieroys.com cyber fraud. I thought Cons you were going to say, I thought you were going to say delightful fraud, Matt. Well, <laughs> could be cyber fraud costs Florida Baptist more than $700,000. Wow. Mm. Staff at the Florida Baptist convention thought they were sending mission money to help pay for church planning. Then the money disappeared. Florida Baptist convention continues to work with federal and state in- investigators. Our internal and external auditors recover over $700,000 in funds stolen from the convention through cyber targeting, according to an update wow. on the convention's website Monday. Okay, I just now put this together, but is it a coincidence that there is $1,000 worth of cyber fraud for all of, for every one of the uh, uh, sexual assault cover-ups? that the Southern Baptist convention perpetrated my, my, my. And that is just one of many reasons why it's a little hard to feel too bad about this. Yep. (laughs) This is, you know, sometimes they have to work pretty hard in the, the oceans movie or the whatever to make you feel they, there's always a part where they, in the heist movie where they have to, if they want you to feel sympathetic for the protagonist, why they have to really drill home that. The person they're robbing is either a criminal or a large faceless corporation or they do whatever. Um, and this one, I think you just kind of had to say Florida Baptists. Yeah. yeah. And then pretty much whatever you take from them, 
I'm not saying I'm on your side. Cyber fraud, probably not a good thing, but uh, there's a certain, there's a large ha-ha factor. (laughs) (laughs) Martin from The Simpsons is having a day. That's right. Yeah. Florida Baptist, one of more than 40 state conventions affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. The funds were meant to go to the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, which partners with the Florida Baptists on church planning. The other part of this, and why these scammers may be heroes, is it sounds like they kept $700,000 away from Baptist church planners. Aha! And Uh, is that a bad thing? Well? I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. Every time I've been cyber-frauded, for some reason... Uh, somebody ends up spending a large amount of money at a music store in the Chicago area. The couple times I found sure. like credit card theft and, uh, I, I, you know what, buy whatever you want at the guitar center. It's hard to argue that that's not money better spent than giving it to the North American missions board to plant more Baptist churches. No question. Dude, have you seriously had your credit card fraud done at guitar center? Sam Ash wasn't even guitar center. Why? Even better. They spent even like better. $900. I don't even know how that's possible. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Remember in college one time, I got a phone call from my bank that said, are you in Munich right now? And I was like, I'm super not. And they were like, so you're not at a jewelry store in Munich? And I was <laughs> nope. like, super not. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. The college part of that, because I had that as well with a call of like, are you in London? Like, no, I'd like to be, but I'm not. And it is is a very recent development in my life, like the last five years, where my attitude towards credit card fraud isn't, well, you chose poorly, friend. Yeah. (laughs) We stole your financial information. Well, this isn't going to work out the way you wanted it to. I was in a Sam Ash a bunch of years ago, and I walked into the drum section because I need like drumsticks or something. And the guy that was working there, and I'm not embellishing this. This is what happened. Walks over, kind of looks me up and down. It's like, I've been gigging a lot lately, bro. What about you? You've been gigging? <laughs> and I really, like, I can't be the first person that he had that conversation with. At least I hope not, because that makes it even weirder. It was weird, but that, if I'm the only person he's done that with, that's super weird. Yeah, that's a comment on you at that point. Right? So, I really love, I think it's more likely, I mean, I draw out a lot of weird in people, so it's possible, but I, I think it's more likely. <laughs> it's it's true. I know myself. Um, I do, man. That's not, that's for real. Yeah, um, that's real. But <laughs> there's so many stories <laughs> of people being super weird around Jed. <laughs> yeah, there are, man. But just assuming for a second that he does, you know, kind of play the stunt with people pretty regularly. Like, I love the idea that he's trying to impress a guy who is there with a fraudulent credit card. Like that adds yeah. a layer I yeah. really enjoy. And I hope, I hope in a sense that that happened. Well, that was the part about the, my being cyber frauded a couple of years ago that killed me is, you know, you use your credit card online. Everybody gets pinched at some point. And normally, you know, someone gets it online. So they make online purchases. The couple of purchases, particularly the same as that this uh, person did had a physical, were like physical addresses in Chicago. So I still don't understand <laughs> how that worked. Like, did they write my credit card number down on a piece of paper and just take it in? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I'm, I'm sorry for all the inconvenience and, and all of that, but you know, Wow. <laughs> eh. One phone call to Chase <laughs> on my end. I'm I'm trying to think of like if you if you were defrauding the Southern Baptists, 
like you might want to cover your tracks if anyone's listening (laughs) (laughs) if we were to defraud the southern baptists if we were to defraud the southern baptists you know i i don't i don't consider myself rusty or danny ocean or anybody like that but i'm just saying like if we were going to cover our tracks with some purchases that may look legit you know like yeah are you going to buy those little uh those little individual uh those little individual communion cups that already have sure. the the grape juice and the and the cracker and stuff like that. What other kinds of things will we buy to cover our tracks? Oh, so that- dude, ten thousand copies of some pastor's book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to do that. I think uh, so. I I hate to have to ask, but I'm out of touch. Do, do the Baptists do modern music at this point? Or are they still doing um, the pipe organ? Uh, I think it depends on if they still let Baptists be on the name of the church. Ah, oh, fair, fair. If they're first I, I community think, Jesus Church, then maybe. Yeah, I think some of them are doing some of that. I, I think some of that country leaning CCM, Jed. Okay. Well, I mean, I could buy a mandolin then. I think sure. Christians okay. like mandolins. I can only imagine. <laughs> well, yes, you could buy just oodles of high end audio equipment. The beautiful part about it is as a cover, it wouldn't even have to make sense together because none of these churches know how to use it. Well, that's definitely true. <laughs> I think I think uh like Protestant churches are keeping the Sweetwater Corporation going at this point. Yeah. Yeah. There's almost yeah. no doubt about that. Um like just an unconscionable amount of like self tanner and hair gel, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Espresso machine. Well, you got to have an espresso machine, bro. You you got to. You got to. I mean. Yeah, so much distressed wood and, like, <laughs> corrugated metal for the church coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, the questions that I'm, that I'm wondering, right, is, and, and this is, this is a thought experiment I'm finding delightful, right? So, like, if you're, when you're listening to music, right, like there's this whole world that people call audiophile stuff, right? And it's for, you know, discriminating listeners. And here's the thing is you can spend $700,000 on a single stereo system for one guy's living room. My um, and what I'm wondering is with like these large churches and whatnot, like how insane of stereo equipment could you purchase before anyone even noticed? <laughs> I mean, quite a bit, I think, is clearly. And 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 by the way, to play music that is just bad. Oh yeah. Over. Oh, oh, well, you've got to be able to get all of the details out of that recording of "Shout to the Lord." All <laughs> of the details. <laughs> sure. Okay. You don't want to miss anything. Well, to to the heist points here, I I, I will share one more, another delightful sentence from this. Um, the according to the people doing the investigation, the fraudulent email reflected quote, a general knowledge of the communication and practice between the SBC entity and the convention. It was an inside job. Inside job. Wow. Oh man. Okay. Look, I'm not trying to excuse crime, but I kind of (laughs) love the idea that there was like an IT guy that worked for one of these churches and someone was a real jerk to that guy in a meeting. And he was like, okay, I see how it is. (laughs) No. I mean, like, well, it would is that real, be so wrong? It is a real thing, and we've all known people who have been on this journey where sometimes someone will get hired for like their first church job at a large member church, 
and they will get invited to the first meeting, staff meeting, elder meeting, whatever, where the budget is discussed. And they will come away truly horrified by how this money is getting spent. Yeah. And because they're young mm. and don't really understand the, the enterprise into which they have entered, they will think it is, they will speak up and be like, Hey, this is awful. And people will listen and be like, Oh, you're right. That is awful. And instead what they get told is you don't come to this meeting to talk. So shut up. <laughs> so I just like the idea that one of them being like, Hmm, I know exactly who to send this email to, <laughs> to get them to click this link. What I want to see is the, the Italian job version movie about this story. Oh, sure. dude. With Seth Green and Mark Wahlberg and the like, you know, like he's in the meeting and he gets the, you don't come to this meeting to talk kind of thing. And then you cut and it's like, so can we do it? And then he pulls up a terminal on his computer. He pulls up the DOS terminal and he's like, I thought you'd never ask. And then just starts <laughs> defrauding the SBC. Sorry, Jed, go ahead. No, I love this. It's just, it's a yes. And so I know the, the two thousands one had, I'm pretty sure the Michael Caine one from the seventies did too. It's like the big car chases were all in mini Coopers. Yes. Right? Accurate. Okay. So like in, you know, like really, really big campus churches, right? Like they'll use golf carts to get around. <laughs> and so I'm talking about an extended chase scene across the oh, campus in the campus golf carts. We're not, we're not going to top that. That's freaking amazing. I think what you're describing, I think this might be a scene from righteous gemstones, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to be clear filmed really well. Like you brought in a guy that normally is shooting like formula one in NASCAR. He's like this celebrated cinematographer and you pay him to capture it. Can, can the, can the final fight scene go down in the baptismal? It has to. Yep. <laughs> it absolutely has to. It's like, we go from like, a, we like the discovery moment, like the, like there's like a, there's like a, a, a bad guy monologue that happens in the, like, in like the, 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 the choir loft. <laughs> and then the final big bad fight scene goes down in the baptismal. Yeah. Yeah. That's a green light picture from where I'm sitting, man. I would watch that. Wow. Absolutely. In this deeply Schadenfreude esque emergency, I will share one parting shot on that. Earlier this year, a church in North Carolina reported lost close to $800,000 after receiving a fraudulent email. Wow. Elkin wow. Valley Baptist Church. Um, so they, they got pinged for 800 grand. So they started to GoFundMe in the hopes of recovering okay. some of that. Which, uh, as of, let me see when this story is published, as of uh, May 16th, 2023, has raised $7,000. <laughs> oh, that's tough, buddy. That's tough. That's, um, that's the long tail of a PR problem. Yeah. When wow, man. Don't run your organization in the sense that when pretty much everyone Christian, non-Christian, whatever, hears that you got ripped off for 800 grand. Their first thought is, <laughs> it's not good. Cause no one thought, Oh no, the old folks, the, the orphans, what will become of them? They thought, well, that's, that's probably safer for everyone. Not pastors, my Bach, anything but that. <laughs> That's right. You'll have to fly commercial. Commercial. 
Well, with that, we will declare a cyber fraud emergency off for us, apparently not for the Southern Baptist churches. For any of us who have been around uh, church people trying to use email or share passwords, I can only imagine the nightmare that is being the cybersecurity guy for a large denomination. Mm. That is cannot be good. What is good is your fine questions, which, are, which we are going to jump into. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll get some ways you can touch this, or you can click in your episode description, click the links you find there. First question comes in and says, people talk about the generation, quote, that God is calling to X, Y, Z, or that we'll break this or that. Does God really do things in generations? Is that a thing? And an excellent question. And again, and kind of, uh, we really appreciate, always appreciate these questions of breaking down these, these kind of buzzwords you might hear in certain contexts. So Jed, where would we start off with this idea of, of generations? Man, that's a good question. And it's the kind of thing that definitely gets brought up a lot in certain kinds of, of Christian circles. And as is always true here in the say that podcast, if there's a thing that you hear people talking about and you're like, I don't really know what that is. And you'd, you'd like a safe, friendly place to, um, to ask about it. Uh, we are delighted to be a part of that. So let's begin actually by setting aside all of the spiritual elements of things. And let's just talk about you as a person for a second. In the modern era, I think this is certainly true post-industrial revolution. Most generations of people uh, see things and do things differently than their parents. Let me, let me say that again. Certainly during modernity, you know, the last... I don't know, 150, 160 years, each generation of people has a bit of a, a different view of what the world is and how it works and what their part is it going to be than their parents do, right? And this is part of why their, um, their stereotypes, and as such, they always miss a ton of detail, but people talk about Gen X versus Gen Y versus Gen Z and that there are, are differences there. And generally speaking, that's true. <laughs> so the takeaway is, at least in part, your generation does – the generation of which you are a part, the, the you know, group of peers of, of which you belong to, your generation does shape your worldview. Um, that's, that's absolutely true, and it is neither good nor bad. It's not something to, that you need to uh, in any way feel like guilty or bad about. There's plenty of people trying to tell you should, but that's not true. But it's not, generally speaking, something inherently virtuous either. It's just you have a set of, of values and a set of preconceptions about the world that tend to trend with people, roughly speaking, your age and from the same part of the world that, that you are from. Um, everybody has a set of values and a set of preconceptions that kind of form the interpretive lens through which they look at the world. That's, mm. that's true for literally everybody. Like this idea of, you know, as a person, I am an island and I am unimpacted by what anyone else says or thinks or does. Like, that's not true, man. Like we are all, we are all impacted. We are all uh, influenced by what's going on around us. That's, that's absolutely true. Okay. Let's start to bring God into it. Part of a life of faith is going to God and asking God, 
here are the values that I have. Here is the worldview that I have. Here are the preconceptions that I have. What do you want me to do with that? Which, which parts of this um, fit right in, God, with how you see the world? And which parts of this um, maybe make it harder for me to connect with the things that, God, you say and you do and you value? Right. Like if you if you expand outside of the United States, if you if you look, you know, globally and I mean, there are countless cultures and subcultures all over the world from an almost anthropological standpoint. I think what you're going to find is that any culture you look at is going to have a certain number of things that are kind of values and preconceptions that line up really, really well with the things that Jesus taught and said and did. And almost any culture that you can find anywhere in the world, it's going to have a certain number of values and ideas and preconceptions that are totally in an opposite direction from the things that Jesus taught and said and did. And so a life of faith is very much like the kid with the, the five loaves and the two fishes, where you go to God, and you're like, here's what I got. What can you do with it? Yeah, we, we can and should do that with our worldview as well. We can and should do that with the, the morals and the values with which we were raised, because in general, they're going to be a mixed bag. They're they're always a mixed bag. If we go back to where your question began, is there something special about the you know this generation? I don't know, dude. I don't have any idea. But I know there's something special about you. I'm absolutely convinced there's something special about you and that God made you the person you are on purpose and that God brought you into the world at the time and the place he did on purpose, that, that you are not an accident and your place in the world is not an accident. If you want to, you know, um, uh, break this curse or break these chains or whatever the, the buzz phrases are, if you want to be a part of the work that God is doing in the world, which is the work of setting the captives free, then that's going to begin and it's going to continue with going to God and saying, here's who I am. Here's what I've got. Here's how I see the world. What, what should I keep? What should I work to temper? What should I get rid of? God, what do you say about my worldview? I think that's one of the best and most godly conversations that you or that anyone else can have. I think that's incredibly well put. And Lee, I love, I love the direction Jed's taking this in because I, I don't think we do too well to get bogged down. And what do people who are clearly just talking nonsense mean when they say this? Cause they don't mean anything, but I think it is very interesting to look at what, what, what could there be to this? Because it's clearly, a powerful idea, something that people trot out because it's very enticing to people to think about, to think about being a generation or a group that does something different, that does not do the things the way their, their predecessors did it. So let's continue to unpack that more of what, what, what's the positive in the, the positive in this idea that regardless of how someone on the mic may be using it, we can, we can uh, think about it for ourselves. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to frame it, man. And I, I completely, I love, I love the way that, that, that Jed is leading us into this conversation because I, you know, it's like in, in the end, I don't know if there's like one whole thing, you know, an issue that an entire generation is going to change or, you know, wake up, uh, wake up the rest of the world on and stuff like that. I know that um, I love the thing that Jed said about, I know this, I know that you are unique and you are special and you have a powerful 
uh, role to play. I think that's absolutely true. I, I'm interested in this part of your question that's like, you know, is God calling a generation to break this or that? And I know that for me, like, like if I took inspiration from the thing that the way that Jed answered that question, I know that there are things in my own personal family history that at a certain point I realized that whether it was God calling it, calling me to it, or whether it was just my own heart or whatever, I realized I am not passing that on to my children. End of story, period. And in fact, we are going to go into a program of educating them and talking about these issues in a different way. Um, I, you know, I'm, I personally believe that, that God woke my heart up to some of those things. At the same time, I do think that across the world, there are some conversations that are beginning to happen that in some ways, maybe have never happened before. And some people are waking up to some things and realizing we don't want to see this in the way that this has always been seen. What's really, really interesting is, for instance, um, people, young people especially, are starting to wake up to, for instance, uh, let's just take an issue, um, starting to wake up to a way to see um, immigrants and immigration in a way that our parents and grandparents did not see it. Here's what's really interesting about that. When you look back at the testimony of Scripture, which was written thousands of years ago, um, what you find is that the way that young people are starting to talk about immigrants and immigration and the way that, that we should care for and offer food and shelter and medicine to to people who are coming from other countries because they're fleeing from oppression and they're fleeing from starvation and poverty and things like that. When you look, when like people are waking up to these ideas and they're starting to spread them. And then you look back at scripture and realized there's basically nothing else that scripture talks about more than love the immigrant the way that you love yourself. And so you look at the heart of God and you realize, oh man, God is quite literally in front of our eyes, waking up a generation of people to, to concepts and compassion and means of caring about things that he has always cared about and things that he has always been talking about. And quite simply, other generations have simply ignored or lied about. There's no, there's no sugarcoating that. There's no nice way to say it. All that to say, I think Jed is exactly right. You are unique. You are special. And the really cool question would be, what is it that God is opening and changing my heart to in my community that I could care about, that I could get involved in? The coolest thing that I think that is happening with a global mindset of the world and the connectedness of the world through the internet and social media and stuff like that is that uh, for the first time maybe in history, we are able to widen our gaze on the world and receive a prompt from the compassionate heart of God to how can I love the world in a unique way that maybe nobody has ever done before. I think that's a really cool thing. Is that, is that something God is doing genera, gen, uh, how do you say this word? Generationally? Maybe. Um, but some of it is taking advantage of the connect, connectedness of the world right now. All that to say, I love the idea of I am a unique person. 
I am part of like seeing the world in a brand new way. I'm asking God to open my heart. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get connected to the compassion that is in his heart, the way that he wants to, as Jed said, to free the oppressed and to care about those who are poor, those who are blind, those who can't take care of themselves, and to realize this has always been his heart. And to the degree that people are open to receiving it, if even if it's even if we're the first generation to do it, which in some ways we're not, but like let's do it. Let's get a wider view of the world. Let's open up our hearts. Let's open up and let's open up our eyes and see what can be done. And let's start doing those things. I think that's super exciting. And to whatever degree you can be a part of that, I say go for it. I think that's fantastic from both of these guys. Um, exactly as they're kind of saying, I think to tie those two things together, where Jed started us with uh, none of this is new. The idea that you're going to be this generation or this group of young people, whatever, will be uh, the one, the first ones who do X, Y, Z. It's really not going to be a thing. There've always been people probably doing the thing you want to do, which is not negative. That's good. That's um, we shouldn't be making up new things about Christianity. That tends to get people in trouble. Um, but the, the other kind of aspect of that is as, as Leah is saying there, um, the, if these are things that have been de-emphasized that you're trying to emphasize, that's, that's positive. That's a great thing. You know, we're all products of our environment. So to look at, uh, what either maybe directly you could maybe as direct as your parents or the church you grew up in, or just kind of the culture that was around and that, that, and identify those things to say, this doesn't work for me. I don't like this part of that. I think we can do this different. I think I want to do this different. That's fantastic. That's part of that can and probably should be a very healthy part of being young and coming into a position or a time where you actually start to have some input and some ability to, to shape things as opposed to just kind of being along for the ride. And those are exactly the kind of things you should be thinking about as you, as you come into that part of your life. And it's all fantastic. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, when something bad happens in my life, my first instinct is to look for a reason something I could have done different or how it could have been planned for. But sometimes there's no real reason and a bad thing just happened. And I hate that so much. How do I get mm. better at dealing with that? I think a, another fantastic question. We really appreciate the, the kind of honesty here. And I think it's something a lot of folks can relate to. So Jed, where will we start off? I definitely appreciate the honesty and I can definitely relate. And, you know, man, I hate to say it, but life is really cruel sometimes. And yeah. it can be really unfair and it can be really moody and it's it's worth noting that it certainly feels anecdotally like when it rains it pours you know you just go through seasons sometimes where it feels like everything is going wrong all the time so what do we what do we do with that well the first there's a few things that are i think are worth noting the first is one thing that i think and it actually kind of ties to our previous question that's worth noting is I think people's ideas of what it means to be good at something do shift generationally, and I would encourage you to consider the idea that people who are really, really good at something are people who've seen all the ways it can go wrong, right? Like, it's it's not that hard to change a car tire if everything goes right. Yeah. 
<laughs> what makes a master mechanic a master mechanic is he's seen or she has seen the hundred ways it can go wrong and knows the workaround for every single one of those ways. So every time a car tire needs to be changed, they know how to do it and there's no stopping them. And so that actually, if you can dig it, that kind of translates to life in general. And don't hear me saying that there's a silver lining in your clouds because when it when it sucks, it sucks. And I'm sorry. That's that's the key thing. But it is worth noting that, like, people, like, from time to time, I bet you meet a person where you're like, this person just seems like they're good at life. Like, they just, like, they know how to handle life well. That's probably a person who's had a lot of stuff gone wrong and has had to kind of learn the hard way of, like, here, when this goes wrong, here's how you solve this. And when thing B goes wrong, here's how you solve thing B and blah, 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 blah. With all of that said... One of the things when things go wrong is it is it is fine and it's worthwhile to do a bit of a post-mortem, as they say in the military, an after-action review, and look at what are safeguards that we could have had in place? What are things that we could have done differently that could have either prevented this or that could have lessened and softened the impact? A certain amount of that is fine. And here's the thing, man, hindsight is 2020. Like it's it's worth doing that that postmortem, but it's not about beating yourself up because like you don't know till you know, and it doesn't occur to you to, to think about it until you have to think about it. But the thing that I really, really want to encourage you to, to look at is this, how much are you pursuing good things in your life? Here's why I ask, no matter how many fences and guardrails and early warning systems you put up, Bad stuff is still going to happen in your life. That is absolutely going to happen. To be clear, like you should, you know, if, if you're able to, you should have insurance and you should have, you know, savings and like whatever else it is that softens the blow. If, it, if it's something that is possible for you in your life, th those are good things. But even with all of those things, bad things are still going to happen. And you're still going to feel at least some of the impacts of those bad things because bad stuff in life at the end of the day is unavoidable. But good stuff is optional. And this is why I ask if you're pursuing good things in your life. When we're tired of getting burned, when we're tired of getting, you know, smacked in the face by life, it can be really easy to retreat into a mindset of I'm going to devote myself into simply preventing bad things from happening. That's not the same as having a good life. A good life is one where you pursue things that bring you to life and you pursue things that you care about and you pursue things that, that give you a sense of joy and delight. That is different from making sure bad things don't happen to you. You do have a role to play in lessening the impact of bad things. Um, like wearing your seatbelt when you drive your car is like a thing that you can do that lessens the impact of, of bad things. And you should do that. You should absolutely buckle up. It's a good idea. But that's not the same as saying, I'm going to find a hobby that just brings me joy, and I'm going to make sure that I have time for it every single day. And I think one of the biggest things that can happen when we go through seasons where it feels like when it rains, it pours, and just everything is going wrong, is it can get us back into that defensive posture of feeling like, I'm just going to devote myself to just trying to keep the bad things at bay. Even in those seasons, you still need the good stuff, and the good stuff is always optional. The good stuff happens when you pursue it. The good stuff happens when you make time for it. The good stuff happens when you cultivate it in your life. 
yes, life is unfair and uncruel and it can be really unkind, but you can still have good stuff in your life. And we really want to encourage you to find a way to make the time to set aside whatever you need to set aside to pursue the good stuff, even as you figure out how to, in a sophisticated way, deal with the bad stuff, too. A beautiful place to start that off. And Lee, where are we taking things from there? Great explanation, man. I mean, that's absolutely spot on. And and by the way, to the question asker, like I completely agree with you. It, it, it makes sense to hate um, what you're experiencing. Like, man, you know, crappy stuff just happens. And, you know, I think, um, I think one of the things that we're looking at here is the difference between the idea of, of kind of a, a world run by the concept of karma, which is, you know, if you're a jerk, then horrible things will happen to you. And if you're amazing, then wonderful things will happen to you. Um, if you're really nice, then you will have a, a great life. And if you're really mean, you'll have a horrible life. And, um, and the problem is, is just that, well, well there's a couple of problems. That is definitely, definitely, definitely not the world that we live in. There are horrible people who have really, really great things. Yep. And they are shielded from a lot of terrible things. And um, so we definitely do not live in a world of karma. The other thing that I would proffer to you is I don't know that in the final analysis that I would want to live in a world of karma because um, when it comes right down to it, I've never met a perfect person yet. So I've never met a person who has no bad stuff in their in their closet, no bad stuff in their past. Um, I don't if if we did live in a world of perfect karma, I think everybody would be hosed in a way. What we do live in, exactly as Jeb was saying, is we live in a dangerous world. We live in a world where God God has allowed danger to be a part of it, and he has allowed suffering to be a part of it. In fact, people who have called in the name of Jesus. One of the things that your scriptures will tell you is that you're actually guaranteed suffering. We're, we're, we're guaranteed that we're going to have hard times. It's going, there's going to be difficult stuff. What we don't live in is a world of karma. However, what we do live in is a world of grace, um, where there are things that are promised to us that are good that we didn't actually earn, and that's fantastic. Um, grace if I could sell you on it, I would say grace is better than karma, but I don't know if I could sell you on that depending, it's, it depends on what you want, because a world of grace does not guarantee you that you will not have difficulty. A world of grace does not guarantee you that you will have all your bills paid or all your problems solved or any of those things. A world of grace tells you that there is life and love, satisfaction, fulfillment, purpose, and peace, even, and this is super key, even in the midst of suffering and pain. That's all very difficult to understand, and I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm telling you that I've experienced it as a person who does live in a world of grace. I have experienced life and purpose, fulfillment, and joy and peace in the midst of pain and suffering. And that Life, fulfillment, joy, and peace are not, they don't have anything to do with me being a good person or having earned any of that. They have everything to do with, I have received those things as a gift 
what I believe from a God who loves me and cares about my life. He does not promise that I won't die. He doesn't promise that all my bills are going to be paid. He doesn't promise that I'm going to have amazing, sunshiny days every day of my life. But I am promised that I'm going to have, I'm going to have some fulfillment and some purpose. I'm going to have peace and I'm going to have joy that are not a calculus based on my ability to earn those things. Um, that to me is a better bet than karma. That's better bet than me looking over my shoulder wondering, is something terrible going to happen because I did X or Y? No, we, we are not people who believe that we are being punished for the bad things that we do. We actually are receiving, we live in a dangerous world that where suffering is possible and we receive grace. We receive purpose and meaning. We receive uh, good things that don't have to do with what we've earned. And that it's, it's a hard thing to get your head around, but it, to me, is a great deal. Uh, again, excellently put. I love that. All that stuff from both of these guys. One kind of very practical thing I would add on here. And I, I, I think this is true for a lot of people. It's, it's, it's true for me. And I wonder if it's true for our question asker as well. When you were a child, whenever something bad happened was the first question that an adult asked of you, what did you do to make this happen? Yeah. Cause that gets in your brain in some very significant ways. And I, I totally understand the, the instinct because as these guys are saying, if, if you doing something makes it happen, then it's possible that you doing things can make bad things not happen. And that's just not a, not a fair pressure to put on yourself. But also I think in the overall, um, I think it is kind of impossible to have that idea that, bad things happen because we either make them happen or do not prevent them from happening without immediately falling into blaming yourself. Um, because that you were going to be the common denominator, right? And all the bad things that happen in or around you, that that's going to be it. So whether that's, you know, something that you, you lose a job or somebody gets sick or, you know, this bad financial thing happens and there's probably in some of those, you may have had some level of culpability and it's important to learn your lessons and not do that in the future, but you do have to be open to the idea that this is just a thing that happens that you did not cause to happen, that you did not fail to prevent to happen. It just happened because as these guys point out, we live in a world where, where crappy and scary things happen now in some ways. And I totally understand uh, where you're coming from. That is, as these guys point out, a much more frightening world to live in because you are acknowledging kind of the general lack of control we have over, in a lot of ways, the bigger events of life. But as they point out, that's kind of where we we need to look for for hope and those kind of things to something uh, larger than ourselves because there are going to come problems that are larger than yourself. So uh, we need to look to something. I think what would on some level what one is trying to do with this, and it's an instinct we all have. So I'm certainly not uh, calling out the question asker is saying, how do I put everything that happens big and small into a schema that makes sense to me? And part of what these guys are absolutely pointing out is that's not a thing. There are going to be good things that happen that don't really make any sense in your life. There's going to be bad things that happen that don't really make sense in your life. Um, Yeah, dude. If you want a life and we want a life for you that exists beyond 
things you can immediately explain why they happened, then you do have to be uh, leave some room for that. And that comes with a lot of positives. We talk about the show, but it does come with some, some discomfort as we're talking about here. And that's, that is okay. We move on to our final question for the episode. It comes in and says, how do you talk about your thoughts on life as a person of faith with non-believing friends without sounding like you are making a sales pitch? <laughs> that is, well, first of all, don't offer them low monthly payments. That <laughs> is not helpful. Buy now. That's right. Call this week for low, low price, twenty nine ninety five. Eternal salvation. What a deal. What a deal. What a deal. And that's not all. <laughs> that's right. But wait. not only that, there's more. Yes. So you can lean into your inner Billy Mays pitch man situation, but if that's not what you want to do. Then, Jed, where would we start off with maybe uh, less of that? Well, it's a good, it's a good goal to be sure. Uh, here's a question back to you, question asker, which is how often do you give your friends space to talk about their thoughts? I want you to think about that because one of the things that is true in evangelical culture is no one tells you to do that. You're, you're actually not supposed to be curious about your other friends, spiritual mm. and religious and existential beliefs. You're just supposed to look for ways to share yours. And so again, how often do you give your friends space to talk about their thoughts and their views and their beliefs? And when they do, and here's the follow-up question, do you take those thoughts seriously? Do you take those views seriously? Do you do you view those thoughts and views and and ideas as something that you could learn from? That doesn't mean that they're necessarily 100% right or 100% wrong, but do you view those thoughts and views and beliefs as something containing some degree of value? Because if you find your friends' beliefs to be utterly worthless, they're probably going to pick up on that. Just just so you know, like it has very, a smell to it. Yeah. I mean, very, very few of us are good enough liars to think that someone's view of anything is utterly worthless and not have that come through in a conversation. <laughs> I don't think that would be a good goal, but either way, um, I'll just say for me, man, I mean, I'm a Christian, but I learn a lot from my friends who are not. Um, I have a lot of friends who are not Christians that are not trying to be Christians, and I learn a lot from them. Uh, it was actually uh, – last week was kind of a hard week for me, and I had a, a really helpful conversation with a buddy of mine who is not a religious person at all, and he pointed out uh, a thing that I was probably looking at wrong, and he was super right about it. Um, and think how weird it would have been if I had said to my buddy in that moment, hey, I appreciate the factual nature of what you're saying. However, I must reject it because I'm afraid you're a godless heathen. Like, that that would be weird, man. You, you, you shouldn't do that. You may have heard it said, and if you've not, this would be a good idea and a good time to reflect upon it. The truth that the first step to getting respect is generally to give respect. Yep. Let me repeat that in case it is a new concept. In most cases, the first step to getting respect is generally to give respect. If you want people to respect your views about anything, it could be true of matters of faith, it could be true of matters of, of economics, um, you need to start by showing respect for where they're coming from. And actually, it's worth noting that most of our popular media is showing you the exact wrong thing on this. 
Like if you look at, for example, finances for a second, right? And there's all kinds of different philosophies of, of finances. If you think of popular shows that have a financial expert that's going to, to you know, sort people out, step one is always telling the, the caller or the guest or whatever that they're wrong and they're a fool and they're an idiot. And now I will educate you with my superior knowledge. That stuff happens in conversations outside of matters of faith and outside of matters of religion, too. And it's so constant that it's easy to get in your head that that's the way this is supposed to work, is I am supposed to become the unquestioned expert, and everybody knows it, and then people will recognize that they're a fool compared to me, and I will school them. And it might make for entertainment, but that's not how human relationships work. Um, if you want people to respect your views and your words and your ideas, you should start by showing respect for their views and their words and their ideas. And critically, you can respect your friends' beliefs even when you don't agree with them. I want you to think about that for a second. You can respect beliefs that you don't agree with. Yeah. I'm not talking about respecting stuff that's obviously awful, like, you know, Nazi ideologies or something. But a person who practices a different religious tradition than you do, you can respect things that you don't agree with. And if that's a new idea to you, that's totally cool. We're really glad that you're listening. But that would be something to really lean into and and dig into. Here's one more practical thing that's going to make a lot of this easier. Um, One of the weird bits of unexamined privilege that comes along with coming from an evangelical background is you may not know that you use words that don't mean anything to people outside of that tradition. (laughs) Yeah. Like the phrase, I am called to magnify the presence of the Lord's glory. Um, You hear stuff like that in church all the time. If you don't go to church, you don't have any idea what that means. Even the word edify. That's just such a specific type of jargon. Absolutely. Well, you know, we edify one another when we, you know, uh, take fellowship together. Do you mean that it's good for your mental health when you hang out with your buddies? No. Is that what you mean? No. No? That's not what no, you mean? No, I don't. Oh. I mean something much more <laughs> holy than that. I looked up, um, uh, this is a, from a book about a different religious tradition, uh, but it's an example of, of an interaction that would be common for people in a different religious tr- tradition to kind of illustrate this point. I'm quoting from a book now. Well, to tell you the truth, I've been a bit out of ruds because of a PTP with my second dynamic because of some bypass charge having to do with my mess at her apartment. When I moved in, I gave her an R factor, and I thought we were an ARC about it, but lately she seems to have gone a bit PTS, so I recommend she see MAA at the AO to blow some charge and get her ethics in it. That's how you sound when you use Christian talk with people that don't go to church. (laughs) Except more annoying. Except much, much, much more annoying. So again, give respect to get respect. That's always universally true. But the second thing is be prepared to figure out how to explain what it is you want to talk about without relying on Christian words. Yeah. Because they don't mean anything to people outside of the evangelical subculture. And again, in terms of kind of unexamined privilege, it is easy to assume that if someone doesn't understand the vocabulary that you are using, it's because there's a problem with them. That's not the case. Other people don't have an obligation to understand your specialized vocabulary. You as the communicator have an obligation to figure out how to explain your point without needing the specialized vocabulary. I think that if you begin by showing respect and making it clear that you value the views of your friends and you find a way to communicate without relying on a bunch of words that don't mean anything to people outside of the church, I think you're going to find yourself well down the road of where you're trying to get to. 
really, really great place to start that off. And Lee, how do we close that out? Fantastic. I mean, all of that is so good. I mean, I, I think a great way to summarize what probably all three of us would want to say is, you know, I mean, you, don't be a jerk. Yes. Um, I, you know, I, I'll tell you this. Um, so I, I have been, um, I've been a pastor for two decades and, and part of that, I've had a lot of outreach ministry and that is where you are talking to people outside of the faith and you, you hope to get into a position where you can talk to them about whether or not they want to believe in Jesus. So I've had a lot of outreach ministry in those two decades. And I'll tell you a couple of things that, that I try to keep in mind. One, I don't fight anyone about anything. Yep. That's thing number one. I if somebody wants to fight me uh with words about you know any religious stuff, I I disengage. I do not fight anybody about anything. One, I or that that's one. Thing number two, I do not actively try to persuade anyone who isn't asking me a question or searching. I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm doing. Uh three, and this is super duper important. I don't judge outsiders based on my convictions. I do not judge the behaviors of outsiders based on my personal convictions. Let's take this outside the realm of faith for a second. Um, and this probably doesn't, uh, Matt would definitely know more about this than I would, but this probably doesn't apply to people who are really super invested in the Premier League. But as a general rule, whatever your sports fandom is, you are fine with someone being a fan of a different team than yours in general. And if they want to talk about your team, then you can do that. And if they're interested in your team, then you can tell them all about it because it's your team and you're super into it. But like, if I am a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team, I'm not trying to talk an Atlanta Braves fan into becoming a St. Louis Cardinals fan. However, we can talk about baseball. All that to say, there are all kinds of things that you can talk about with someone where you don't have to talk about this. In other words, be a person. Yeah. Be, don't be a jerk and be a person. What I try to do is I don't want to fight anybody. I don't want to persuade someone who's not actually searching or listening or, or asking. I definitely do not judge outsiders' behavior based on my convictions. Okay, within those parameters, here's what I try to do. I try to show up for people. I try to serve them and help them in any ways that I can. I try to ask questions and listen. And that's the first thing that Jed talked about is listen. And when I can, I try to become friends with people. Within that, if you show up for people, if you try to serve them, if you try to meet their needs and listen to them about their life, as a person of faith who walks with Jesus, you'll be surprised how many conversations you wind up in where they're asking you about your faith in Jesus. It just happens. I, I You don't have to force it. You don't have to make it happen. You're just going to wind up there. It may take some time, but we're playing the long game where I show up for people. I care about them. I actually care about their life. And when they have some questions about their soul or about what's behind some of their feelings or about some deeper things in life, Lo and behold, the person who was there for them might be the person that they ask. So those are my goals. Try to be a person. Try not to be a jerk. Don't judge. Don't uh, fight. And just show up for somebody. Listen to them. And lo and behold, you will find yourself in some conversations. 
I think that's fantastic stuff from both of these guys here. Um, yeah. W- one of the thing I would add to kind of what, especially where Jed started us off with the, the D jargoning. Um, I think there is, if you grow up in deeply ensconced in the church, um, because the Bible says so is like the highest form of explaining something to someone. That's like the holiest thing is this doesn't make any sense, or I haven't thought about this beyond either the Bible says so or the Lord's leading. It is very healthy for you to have conversations about things like morality and ethics and the way you treat other human beings with people who don't give a crap what the Bible says. Yep. Yeah. It is very good, not only for them to hear you, not, it is super good for you to be able to explain that, not only without pulling back on churchy words, but without explicitly going to the because Jesus. It is good for you to talk about what, how, what, how you feel about the way society should treat the poor and the way we should uh, treat immigrants and what we should do with people who can't work and those kind of things without having, without explicitly. Uh, bringing your religion into it. As a person of faith, you should talk about it from that standpoint, but it's a very good skill and good for you. And as you think of those things to be able to have that conversation with someone who does not have a Christian frame of reference and does not care about what Christian book, what Charles Spurgeon has to say about that thing. They want to know what you think about it and why you think that. What about your experience as a human being has brought you to that? And I think a lot, again, in a lot of church purely kind of Christian bubble circles. There's this idea that that is, is less than, and that is a denial and that is just not bringing God into things. And that's not true at all. We, if we want, you know, Christianity and Christ to be the foundation of the things we do and think, here's the thing about the foundation of building. Sometimes you can't see it. It's still doing its job. It's still holding everything up. That is as it should be. So one of the ways you can have those conversations is, just as these guys are saying, just talk like a person. Talk about <laughs> what you think about it, what your <laughs> ideas are, what your you kind of things. And here's a, the kind of a super secret sauce in this, especially if someone knows you're a Christian and is asking you from that standpoint, well, what about this? What about that? Be very generous with the oh hell, I don't know. That gets yep. you a long way. Well, what what about these things that contradict and this great thing? I I don't know. I'm I'm doing my best here. Right. I I kind of I have these beliefs. I know that seemingly and almost entirely some of these things contradict some other things, but I'm I believe what I believe. I'm trying to do my best to get along in the world and help people and uphold and live up to these values. You'd be surprised how much more that gets you as far as respect from people who are outside uh, especially outside the faith than having the right answer and having the bibliography and having the exact pithy thing to say just leading with your humanity is always a good way to go when you're trying to relate your ideas to people if we go back for a second to lee's excellent point about you know the cardinals if your buddy asked you dude why are you a cards fan if you started listing off like here are all their statistics and why they're the best team and it is right for me to like them a that'd be super weird but it's also that's not how a human being talks 
Yeah. Like you are clearly repeating a script at that point. If you're like, dude, my grandpa passed when I was pretty young, but I, my, my best memories of him were just watching cards games together. And he was a cards fan. And so like, whenever I, I watch them, I root for them. I just, you know, I feel like I'm connected to my grandpa and I really love my grandpa. That's an authentic answer. And no one would ever have a problem with that. Yeah, no. Yep. Yes, that is, that is true. This is also how you can tell that Jed is not a huge sports fan because I guarantee you, if you asked a good number of people why you were a Cardinals fan, you would get a rundown of Yadier Molina's uh, career stats <laughs> and a screed about playing the game the right way. Here, but here's the thing, to Jed's very good point, you would not enjoy that conversation. You would not nope. ask that person more about their Cardinals fandom. <laughs> it's the, the Lord's that- team, Matt. It's the Lord's team. I, I know that's what they think, and they I've been, been to Cardinals games, been to Cardinals games, Lee, and they literally started out like, "Welcome to baseball heaven," and I look <laughs> around, and my conception of people of heaven does does not that many is not that heavy ratioed on Midwestern white people. I just <laughs> have to say that my my that that challenges my conception of paradise in a lot of ways. But uh, but to take that back, Jesuit, very good point. The person you would want to have more of a conversation with, even if you didn't know anything about baseball or care, if they said, oh, man, you know, with my grandpa and it was Sundays, well, well, what happened? Tell me about the games. Tell me about something you enjoy now. That is someone you would want to have more of a conversation with. That's right. Because they weren't trying to be right. They were just trying to express a human connection to something. And if you're looking to have conversations about your faith, you don't know how to do that. Maybe you're new to it. Maybe you've been given a lot of bad patterns for it. Just talking about your experience as a human on a human level is always a great place to start that. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous. We're going to take out with a song this week. This is uh, Jed leading some folks at the bridge many years ago in a song called I Come to You. Hey, that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God bless you. There's nothing you can do about it. Here I am. Here I am, Jesus. to be